Hey, I'm Sean. And I'm Jesse. And, and we're, we're the, the DMs, DMs of, of Vancouver. Vancouver. We're two newish DMs who are still getting the hang of the whole DM thing. So we sit down with a friend every couple of weeks and pick their brain on their approach to DMing. So come along as we figure out how to help our players have the best time possible at the gaming table. Hey folks, welcome to DMs of Vancouver. I am Sean. And I am Jesse. And we're back. <laughs> we're back. Oh my god, we're back. Um, it has been a while, um, but uh, I, I would like to think that we spent this time productively, even if it was just kind of recharging and getting our bearings again. Yeah, I mean, you also moved and like found a place to live and stuff, and that's very time-consuming. Yeah, sold my place, and in between previous place and new place and yeah it's been a, it's been a, it's been a year we'll put it yeah. that way <laughs> um and part of that year includes a lot of changes um not that we would have been gathering in a studio anyway when recording stuff um but the cave goblin studio is not really anymore because xanthi and talia have moved to a much better location for them yes um so yeah we're going to be recording uh differently from now on but hopefully it'll all still sound the same and be as good as it's always been or better yeah, yeah and you know maybe once it's safe we'll look into other uh ways of recording but for now no <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh, i think we wanted to start off by just uh talking about what our plans are for next year before we take a look back at 2020 um yeah Jesse, you want to start us off with what we're planning for next year? Uh, I mean, the the big thing is that we're changing how the show works in general. Um, we're still going to be having interviews, but we're also going to potentially be reviewing games. Um, because we we kind of realized that we, we talk about D&D a lot, and D&D is, is a very fun game, and I think it's still the primarily, primary one each of us play. But we'd like to cover cover other systems that are maybe not getting as much attention, and that are maybe less um, have less problems. Let's say <laughs> that is a good way to put that. Um, yeah, so we're we're planning to do reviews. Like we're planning to. The idea right now is that we'll like play a one shot, like one or two sessions of a game, and then and like while we're playing it, we'll like take notes and put together a review and and then record a review and if i've got the energy or we've got the energy then put that up in a written form somewhere maybe but that's we've still got to figure some of those bits out that that's a um, big maybe yeah big maybe um it is something i would like to try to do but no promises yes um yeah the other thing is uh we've talked about this a couple of times off air but uh, something we're going to try to do way better than we've been doing in the past is to have more bipoc guests on and fewer white cis dudes um simply because uh we're two cis white dudes and we want to try and use our privilege to lift up voices that might not otherwise be heard and honestly i'm tired of listening to cis white dudes all of the podcasts i listen to are cis white dudes i could do better about that myself but i want to do better in 2021 yeah and i i mean i think the other thing is that we've already had so many cis white dudes on our show and so like we we need to even even the numbers out a lot i think um yeah and so that's that's what we're going to do yeah and 
And I like think the, like sorry. Uh, go, go ahead. ahead. Okay, <laughs> I will go first. Um, I, I do think that we have actually fucked up in that that the numbers are so out of proportion. It, it was one thing when we started and we were just talking to our friends and like me and Sean went to a ca- uh, Catholic high school in Canada. Like most of our friends were white, so that definitely influenced it. But as we started bringing on more guests, we we should have put more of an effort in, uh, and we didn't. Um, and now we're changing that. Yeah. And I think the thing that I've noticed, and maybe it's just because I've been trying to curate my Twitter feed better, or or maybe it's just the more interesting stuff that seems to be happening in uh, the tabletop space seems to be coming from non-cis white folks. So I want to talk about that stuff. And yeah, like stuff like Swordsfall and Motherland and a bunch of other really cool stuff that's happening right now. We're going to hopefully talk to some of those folks you know big fingers crossed we're gonna try our best to get those folks on but uh yeah that's the one of our goals for moving forward is that yeah and and i think to that too if you're a listener and you have a recommendation for someone we talk to like and they're like a lesser known creator or you know maybe they're a friend who dms for you who you know aren't like a big twitter person or something like that but are still you know people of color nonsense by guys or not guys anyway um <laughs> who are running the game and would like to come on a show and talk about it that would be great because we don't like that's the other thing about me is like i mean i don't know if we're going to be able to get bigger like creators more well-known creators on our show i would like to obviously it's, it's a thing we're going to be trying for but like i would also like to just you know talk to your friend who runs games too potentially like yeah if, so, if there's some yeah if there's somebody who has uh something they'd like to talk about then we'd like to have them on because yeah like while we'd like to talk to more well-known folks because well we know about them and we've heard what their ideas are and we want to talk about them you know if you know somebody who's doing something really cool with their game of D or you know they introduced you to a new system that uh, they're really passionate about or they're working on their own system like whatever the case is if you know somebody Tell them about us. We'd like to talk to them. Yeah. I think someone... I, I'd really like to talk to somebody who runs Vampire. Um, but that's mostly because I just watched a really good, like, Let's Play of it. Yeah. And and that's that's kind of the other thing is that, like, talking about games like Vampire that I think for the longest time, because the RPG, the tabletop RPG space, had this cis white dude problem that games like Vampire had a like my knowledge about vampire was that it was the the weird drama club kid game it wasn't the game that the real tabletop players played it was the game that you know the girls played and i'd like to talk to people who play that game regularly because i'd like to learn more about it now yeah well and like you know you said had is in past tense it's it's really just it still has it's still a huge problem (laughs) in our community um, and we need to work on, like, we need to do our part to try and work on that. And also, like, you know, find those, like, like those bits of white supremacy and sexism that I think we have inherent in us that we've learned over years and, like, push past them and work out that way. Yeah. And, like, yeah. I know, you know, we know that we're doing that, but I think we would like to do that with our audience. Yeah. And uh, I think the last thing is like, we're still going to cover D&D because if somebody is going to be a guest on our show, we don't want to force them to talk about a system they don't know. If what they know and are uh, passionate about is D&D, then we'll talk about it. But we also want to talk about other systems because there are 
a lot of systems out there, even if they're just, you know, free one page PDFs like Honey Heist, there's tons of stuff out there that people are creating. And we want to try and find and put a spotlight on some of the really cool stuff out there. Yeah, so I think we will occasionally talk about the games of D&D that we're in if we're in games of D&D. But I don't think we're, me and you, when it's just us on the show doing a review, we're not going to go out of the way to talk about D&D, I don't think. I don't yeah, un- think that's unless necessary. There's, yeah, unless there's some amazing new module that does something really cool and forward-thinking with D&D, then... We're probably going to be reviewing other stuff. Yeah, um, and I think if it's third-party stuff, that's the one thing. Like, yeah. I would like to, at some point, get the people who made Fairy Fire and Witchcraft uh, Astrologo Lago Press on at some point to talk about the stuff they do. But that's, you know, it's it's third-party. It is D&D, but it's not created by wizards, I think is yeah. what I'm getting. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um so yeah, that's our that's our plans for for moving forward. Uh, now let's take a look back at uh, at 2020 and what we did manage to do in 2020 during this that hellscape was, of a year. That was terrible English. I am so sorry. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> um, so uh, outside of the games that we played, because we'll go into that in a second, is there anything that you did in 2020 that you're particularly proud of or uh would like to just cheer yourself on about i did this thing i mean i made it through the year which was uh good like i i spent i think almost exactly six months at home uh like only leaving to get groceries and occasionally like buy things that i might have needed um and like that sucked yeah it's it's something that i like because i've been working from home since march and i'm still working from home and I mean, both of us are lucky enough that we live with our partners. Mm -hmm. So, uh, like, we're not alone alone. We've got somebody we can talk to. And and if if all you've done is survive 2020, that is still a big deal. Yeah. Um, But uh, something that I saw somebody in the uh, programming side of Twitter say was that, uh, you know, all these folks who started working from home, that they're not really working from home. They're quarantined. And, you know, these people that have been working from home for years – you know, they've been able to go to a coffee shop or like go out and be around people, but still work from home, quote unquote. Yeah. Uh, so this entire year of like all the social distancing that I hope everybody's been doing uh, to to stay safe and to stay healthy. Uh, it's been rough, like not being able to see people like uh, my girlfriend and I um, at our old place and hopefully in our new place, but we haven't been able to do it since 2019 is we like to have people over for dinner and uh partially because we like cooking and partially because you know it's easier to have friends over and talk to them when you're not at a bar so um we've both really been missing that and we've gone i think a little bit overboard with how much we we've cooked occasionally because we've you know, trying to recreate that feeling of it's a really fun meal. We're just missing that second ingredient of with friends. Yeah, I, I find it funny because the the place you're in that you mentioned, the interim kind of place you're staying at until your new place is built, um, is very close to where I live. And it's like, I think the biggest irony that you live so close um but <laughs> I'm not I'm not probably ever going to be inside your place, your current place. Yeah, it's it's like for our listeners, it's literally like 
less than a half hour walk. Yeah, it Google Maps says 15 minutes, but I think it's lying about that. I think it's closer to half hour. Yeah, I th- well, yeah. I'm not going to say anything more, but yeah, it's yeah. it's a whole thing and yeah, it is it is annoyingly ironic that this is the closest I've lived to one of my friends that, who wasn't a roommate and like completely unable to go and hang out. Yeah. Well, like it's also just like the oh if it was different times, we could probably like go and record at your place again and it wouldn't be like out of the way for, for me or anything like that. And it's just, yeah, this is not, not a thing. Yep. Um, anyhow, I also want to say that like, I, I, you know, I was home for six months. I'm fortunate enough to live in Canada where we had a, like a monthly or bi-weekly payout for people who were not working. Um, and I was very fortunate to fit into that criteria and stuff. So uh, I say survive, but like we were okay financially the whole time, which is like uh, a yeah. big privilege I had that I know a lot of people in other places. Yeah, like my, uh, I, I, I've got to give a huge props to the a couple of people that I work with because they uh, have been doing the work every month to show the government that because uh, the because gov- the government of Canada did two things: it did the CERB, which is that biweekly payout, and they've also had. Uh, grants and stuff for companies that can show that they've been affected by COVID and they've been doing the work. Like you have to prove to the government every month that you still need that money. And they've been able to do it every month, which means that they we've been able to hold on to folks, which I am super thankful for because I did not want to have to try and look for a job during this time. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Right. Um, what else have I but anyways, done? Oh, you know oh. what? What's another thing I've done this year that's of note? Very little DMing. I was primarily a pro player all year, aside from a few like kind of one-off things. Yeah, yeah, uh, which is uh, weird. But like, I would not have been able to GM an ongoing game. I just would not, and I think we'll get a bit into that when we're talking about virtual tabletop stuff in a bit. But like, no, <laughs> I, I'm very glad that I made the decision like early on. Like, I can't. I'm not going to be able to do this. I'm just not. I'm gonna just say I, I'm not going to. And people, you know. My, you know, my players were very understanding and haven't pushed me on it. Yeah, which is nice. Um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure when I'm going to GM a regular thing again. Yeah. Uh, but speaking of being a player, let's talk about some of the games that we played last year. Yeah. Um, well, why don't you start? Because I just talked a bunch. <laughs> <laughs> two, two that we're just going to draw uh, name drop and not talk too much about because we plan to do a more in depth look at these two is. Uh, Subway Runners and Worldwide Wrestling, which were both uh, really fun experiences. And yes. uh, if you follow the Cave Goblins on uh, Twitch in November, we did a charity stream where we managed to raise quite a bit of money. Uh, and I uh, GM'd a game of Worldwide Wrestling. Jesse GM'd a game of Subway Runners. They're both a lot of fun. But that's all we're going to say about that yeah. for now because we want to save more thoughts for later. Yeah. Uh, quick. In quick reference to that charity stream, though, huge props to Xanthia and Talia, who, like, did, especially Xanthia, did 15 hours in a row of stream? Yeah, Xanthia did a lot, yeah. Um, Um, And the fact that she managed to come through that and then run a game of everyone as Jonas is pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, The the only thing that I've played outside of Everyone is Jonas, the the stuff that I did pretty much for the the charity stream and one other game of Everyone is Jonas, is I've been a player in a game of D&D for somebody who's been a player in a couple of my games who is now GMing. Uh, So 
big props to him. Uh, and he's running the Rick and Morty starter set uh, for D&D, which it's it's been uh, interesting. I'll say that because like Rick and Morty is definitely one of those, I would say, kind of polarizing media properties where like there's some fans who are just just dumb about it because they think that it makes them super geniuses that they understand half of the jokes. Um, but like, I, I enjoy Rick and Morty, the show when I don't have to interact with anybody online about it. Um, and the game does a good job of capturing that humor. Um, like one of the, like, it's basically that like you start off in a dungeon and there's no reason given. It's just, you're in a dungeon looking for treasure. Why wouldn't you be? Um, like it has a very like it breaks the fourth wall knowingly and in a way that makes sense for a D&D game. Um, but I think my favorite thing was that one of the rooms was literally a writer's room. It's a room that you enter into and there's somebody who's like furiously writing uh, and you find out that they're like trying to finish the dungeon. <laughs> and it's basically this big blank room that they're trying to like put stuff into. And I thought that was a really funny touch. Um, but. Uh, yeah, I have I have other like my experience though has been colored by the fact that I was playing not only playing online, we were playing using Roll20 and Discord, but we weren't playing using video. So it's just voice. And I've got to say like I think I I think the reason might be that like a couple of the players are uncomfortable being on camera probably because they're on camera, you know, often for video calls for work or something, which I, I get, but we're going to talk more about virtual tabletop stuff later, but I will say that um, playing voice only for tabletop games is really rough for me. Same, honestly, uh, which is why I'm glad uh, the games I am a player in all have some aspect of video. Um, I'm interested in the Rick and Morty Lake. I, because I haven't watched it past the second season because that's when the fandom got like really loud and and like hard to handle for me, so I just stopped <laughs> watching it. Yeah. Um, but uh, like I'm, I'm always interested in like comed like written comedic dungeon crawl stuff and like m like that kind of meta approach to it. And I'm I'd be interested to give it a look over at some point. Um, yeah after like when i'm once i'm done because i'm not going to pull one of the biggest dick moves you can pull as a player and buy this this module basically before we're done running it because that is a huge dick move as a player uh so i'm gonna wait until we're done before i i pick it up because having played it i am curious to see uh how all the it's all set up um the the, the the guy who's running at the GM, he has pointed out there's a couple of places that they didn't do a great job of explaining how some of the rooms work. Um, but I mean, honestly, that that's been kind of my issue with almost every module I've looked at. There's been at least one or two sections that's like, what are they trying to tell me to do here? Yeah, I think that's a pretty common just like wizards module problem. Um, yeah, and like, and uh, you know, it's one of those things where I think that that emptiness is supposed to be like so the dm can like fill in some stuff on their own but also if you give us that thing we can just change them if we want to yeah and it's actually it's 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 interesting that you say that because uh something that i i read an article talking about how how DD &D has stopped teaching players how to play uh, it mm. used to be that the the rule books and the like the start like whatever modules first came out uh, like starting with first edition, they taught you 
how to play, like how your character is supposed to work and how all these things come together. Uh, and because every successive book after first edition was written by people who are intimately familiar with it, it's lost a little bit of that teaching because there's just been an assumed amount of knowledge that people coming into the game have. And the game for, you know, at least a decade now, people have been brought in by people who know how to play. So it stopped being a game that a bunch of random people, like a bunch of friends who've never played before could pick up and play. It's kind of become this thing that requires at least one person who knows, or at least somebody who knows where, you know, all of the forums and stuff are so they can ask questions. Yeah, I... I don't know that I fully agree with that. Like, I do think that I think that the lack in writing is there, but I think the assumption has now become not that you necessarily have a friend who plays it, who can introduce you to it is that like that people have watched critical role and, or watched an actual play or watched whatever video where there's an introduction there, uh, which is still a bad assumption to make, honestly. Yeah. Um, but I think that's where part of that's coming from, at least in the more modern iterations of the game. Uh, it's unfortunate either way. They really should be like have a little how to play section and everything, or yeah. like a you know maybe the beginner's rule, like the free version of the rules has something like that in it, and they're making the assumption that if someone's picking up this game for the first time, they're using that. But uh, I don't know. That seems yeah. optimistic. <laughs> um, but I'm curious to hear about these last two games that you have on your list of games that you played. Yeah, I no, I actually realized that there's another game that should be on there. Uh, which is the second edition of Pathfinder, which I played a one-shot of, uh, run by uh, James, who has been a guest on our show before. Um, I I wasn't sure how much I would like it when I first heard about it. There are elements of it that I found interesting mechanically even before I touched it. And now that I've played it, like I think if I had my way, and like my friends were like, what game should we run for a fantasy game? I think Pathfinder second edition would be what I choose over fifth now. Um, really? granted, uh, the character I played was a pre-gen, so I didn't have to make it. So I don't know what that process is really like, but I like how it runs mechanically in combat, especially because it kind of, it smooths out some rough things. Um, I think in a way that's more straightforward and, you know, and it has a higher level of customization, which is, uh, not necessarily the best for a beginner player sometimes, but is a thing that I'm, you know, at this point I've been playing D and other games since i was 17 and i'm like 32 now <laughs> so i'm like i'm like i i don't i would like more customization options and it's been my constant complaint with 5e uh granted i haven't looked at the things in tasha's uh cauldron or of everything or whatever it's called yet so maybe that has some more stuff but i, I would like more more little fiddly bits for at least making a character which pathfinder second edition has well i think having a I'm not sure if it's more simple combat system than 5e, but like a more adjacent feeling one. Okay. Um, so like the, the quick thing, the core of combat is that every turn you have three actions, but it's any three actions. So you can attack and then attack and then attack, or you can move and then move and then move, or any mix of them. Um, okay. And it, it also makes spellcasters, I think, more interesting in ways because some spells are one action, some spells are two, or some spells will take your entire turn to do. And stuff like that. Okay, is that is it the same for other classes where they have things that take two or three actions? Yeah, they can. So, like for a fighter, for example, which is what I played, is I you can attack and then attack and then attack, but each subsequent attack has a penalty. 
So it's more difficult to attack effectively the more you attack, which I think is a pretty elegant way. And it's it's um, it's always five and then ten. Okay. So it's it's very straightforward. It's like it's not fiddly. It doesn't change. But then you get some abilities like power attack, where it's like okay, it uses two, but it does double damage, and you get a little bit of a bonus to hit. But then you still get the negative ten penalty that a third attack would take as just part of that ability. Um, so it's like it has like little things in there. So uh, like that was interesting because power attack doesn't necessarily do more damage than two attacks if they hit because it only has the damage modifier once, uh, but double die. But you know you're more likely to hit for both. Okay, basically that's that's interesting. I like that's that is a pretty cool idea. I like that. Yeah, and it like it it felt very elegant when I was playing it. Again, I played a pre-built character at a low level in a one shot, so who knows farther into it? And you know, you know, I'm interested in the game, but at this point, if I'm looking into a new game, I would probably look into a smaller a game from a smaller company anyway. So it probably wouldn't like I don't know if I'm ever going to actively play it again or play in a in a campaign, and I don't know what running a campaign would look like, but it's a system I'm interested in. Okay. And uh, what about the the other two on your list here? All right, so uh, I will talk about Artifact first. Um, Artifact, I played... uh, Artifact is technically, I guess, what would be called a journaling game in where you create a magic item and create its history. Um, And basically, it's like you create the biography of a a magic item of some kind. Um, Okay. I played a slightly modified version of it with our friend Kevin, who uh, Kevin Wilson, who we've had on the show before, uh, who does uh, the Curious Account of Crownsgrave or Curious Case of Crownsgrave. It's been a while; I can't remember the full title. Um, but he wanted to test it out because he has been looking through a bunch of different systems to see what would be the best for running future versions of his show. Uh, because he was using, uh, God, what's the one? The one that's partially created by that trash person. Um, Dungeon Crawlers? Dungeon World. Dungeon World. Yeah, he'd been using Dungeon World and he wanted to move away from it anyway. And then the stuff with Adam Coble happened and he wanted to move away from it even more, which is very (laughs) understandable. Um, So he was testing out other systems to see what would work because it's a one-on-one game too, right? Um, Anyway, so he tested Artifact with me and basically I played a... Basically, he just ran me, he essentially played the role of the book, where he was just like giving me the prompts just verbally, and then we could kind of discuss back and forth. Um, And it was a lot of fun. We played for three hours. It was like, I think one of the only one-on-one games I've ever played since the first time I played D&D. And like, it was pretty, uh, it was intense in a way that was surprising, but not like too intense. But it was, it was interesting because like, yeah, we... Intense how? So I think anytime you play a one-on-one game where you have to make decisions um, and you're the only one making the decision, like the other person could help you make it, but ultimately it's you, like it's you who's making it. I found it like it's very intimate in a way. Um, and that is a, not a thing I, I'm used to with, you know, people who are not my partner at this point and like some of my older friends. So doing it with a person who I've known for less time and stuff like that was, it was very intense. It was enjoyable. It wasn't a bad experience. It was just, um, it was interesting and it was different from any other type of like role-playing I've ever done. Okay. Would recommend it. And I would recommend uh, for a DM, I think it's great because it's a great way to like make a magic 
artifact legendary thing that is very much your own and that like you then know a history about that you can give your players or like you know you can make part of solving like finding out about the history one of the main mysteries of the campaign or something like that like it's it's interesting it's useful and it's it's very short i think it's like i got it from zine quest originally because i do have a copy my own copy of it and it's i think maybe 40 pages maximum probably less okay um and like i think it takes about like an hour or two to to go through okay depending how in-depth you go i guess um the other game was the goose of grilner grove and this is just untitled goose game the tabletop rpg <laughs> Uh, essentially <laughs> um it's a pamphlet rpg it's literally one sheet double-sided and that you can fold up and basically you get your friends together you all sit around and you uh you play the role of um long-time townspeople telling a newcomer about their encounters with this goose <laughs> um and so part of it is like you create characters and that's just like you're like Oh, I'm Timmy, the little boy in the town. Uh, and I have a bad repu- or relationship with you, who's playing Old Man Winters, who's just kind of a dick. Like, <laughs> that, that, that's essentially all there is to character creation. You make, you choose another player, you have a positive relationship, you choose another one, you have a negative relationship, and then you go and, like, that's how people can kind of pull other characters into scenes. Um, and okay. Like, the only really two rules is that the goose can't die. And that the goose is not intelligent. It is just a goose. It's just a horrible goose. Exactly. <laughs> um, and again, like it's very fun. I think it's like it's been a while, but I, I got it as part of uh, an itch bundle, and it's like it's got to only be like three or four dollars at most. It's, it's uh, ten bucks. Really? That seems. Yeah. Te- uh, unless I'm looking at the wrong artifact, it's a game of legendary items and transient heroes. Oh yeah, artifact should be ten dollars. I'm t- talking about uh, Goose of Grilner Grove. Oh, derp, derp, derp. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, ten dollars sounds about right for artifact. Okay, um, so I'm gonna pull this up and see if I can find it real quick because it should be on itch. That's where I got it from. <laughs> it's three dollars. Ah, okay. Jen Martin. That makes a lot more sense for a one-page pamphlet rpg <laughs> yeah um and i uh i was fortunate enough to play it with some friends uh we and because like, i have a yard where i live so we sat up set up a bunch of chairs really far from each other and did it in our <laughs> backyard uh back when the cases were not that worrying uh out here in bc before we kind of had a big spike and everybody has been hiding inside again yeah well everybody that i know has been hiding inside again <laughs> yeah um Cool. So yeah, that's the stuff that we played. Um, and as as an aside, something that I wanted to talk about that I put on the list is virtual tabletops because um, something that I am itching to do because I did the thing that I always do and went way too in depth with a new game that I haven't played yet. I want to play Numenera so very badly. Um, is I was exploring other virtual tabletop solutions out there because. Um, I've been using Roll20 for a while now, uh, and I wanted to see if my problem with virtual tabletops was with Roll20 or with virtual tabletops in general. Um, And I think I have to try something that's maybe a little bit more old school to compare against Roll20, because what I looked into was Roll, which uh, had a Kickstarter that was apparently super successful. And I've seen a couple of people I follow on Twitter uh, like there's an artist that I follow on Twitter who mostly does comics, who was apparently 
a big part of getting this going. Uh, and that's how I heard about it. Uh, and I also checked out Astral. But I wanted to talk about Roll first because, Jesse, you uh, said that you uh, were had early access to it. And I'm curious just what your thoughts were. So, so this is complicated because, as I said, I haven't DM'd. Uh, so I, I have not used Roll. Um, I backed it, though, because it sounded really cool and also because I hate Roll20, <laughs> uh, which is the primary thing that I'm playing D&D on in one of my games right now, which is, I mean, fine, because I don't have to run on it. Um, but, like, I do like the simplicity, both the simplicity and the complexity in Roll setup. I'm looking at their template for a D&D character sheet right now, and I like that they have built it so it fits nicely on the side so you know presumably while you're playing the game you can have it on the side have access to it while also still having like the place where you know the dm might put a map and where the characters camera other players cameras are and stuff like that um also like i like that it's templates i like that you can make your own uh which is you know i'm sure an option in roll 20 but like not easy yeah the thing with the thing with Roll Twenty is that to make a character sheet template, especially if you want to make one that works well with the a- or works at all with the API, or that you're able to do some of the better to use some of the better features of Roll Twenty, like being able to roll skills and add modifiers and all that kind of stuff, you have to know uh, HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. Uh, not necessarily JavaScript if you're just making a template, but f- depending on what game you're making this uh, your character sheet for, you might need to know JavaScript to do some of the more complicated things. Yeah. Um, because cause I came into this after having spent, because I spent a little bit of time in Roll20, uh, like I found a character sheet for Numenera, and I spent some time getting that set up and working out how it all worked and figuring out how it all worked um, and playing around with it a bit. And I wanted to try something else out. So I looked into Roll and um, this might have worked better if I talked about Numenera first. But I think like I'll just say two things about Numenera is yeah. that the the basically the way it works is that... Uh, when a player is rolling and the player is always rolling because the GM never rolls is that they're rolling against a difficulty and the difficulty is from one to 10. Um, and, but you're rolling on a D 20. So how does that work? Because if you roll really high, well, if the highest difficulty is 10, then it doesn't seem that hard, but the way it works is the difficulty is multiplied by three. So a difficulty of 10 means your target is 30, which you're never going to be able to get. But the way that it works is that the players, the characters, uh, rather than getting bonuses to the role, they're able to modify the difficulty. So if you have a skill that is applicable, like say you're trying to climb a wall, if you have a skill that is climbing, if you have a piece of equipment, uh, if you have, uh, I think I think that's basically for something like climbing a wall, like you've got two pieces of equipment and a skill. So that's three things that'll help it drops the difficulty by three. Oh, so okay. it'll go, so if it's, say it's like a glass cliff you're trying to climb up, it goes from a difficulty 10 to a difficulty seven, still really tough, but then you can spend, you have three pools that you can spend points from to lower the difficulty even more. So you can lower a difficulty from impossible to I can do this no problem. That's cool. Yeah, and that's that's the reason why I want to play Numenera so badly is that it seems like a really cool system, but I'm curious to see how players interact with it. But trying to set that up in Roll 
was not easy. And I think part of it is that because Roll is trying to make their their character sheet templates, it's a drag and drop system. You don't have to know HTML or CSS or anything. They have a bunch of different kinds of things you can throw into the template. Like you can have, uh, like I was I was fooling around with it. Like I can set up the the three pools for the characters uh, and have a place that you can put skills and equipment and all that kind of stuff. But there was no way to like, tie it all together which is something i could do in roll 20 um and uh and yeah and like i think it's the thing with tabletop systems is that they're built for the biggest tabletop game in the market which is D. and like the ones coming up behind it are games like pathfinder you know games where it's a it's a a d20 system where you have uh like the difficulty is a number you're trying to beat and not like a number that you can modify. It's, you know, you have your, you're making attack. So you have proficiency and your strength bonus and the weapon modifier and like all these things come together and roll from what I can tell is great for those kind of systems. Cause you can link up all of those little bits to say like, yeah, when you roll a D 20 for this attack roll, it'll like link up all of these things and add all of those modifiers and, handle that for you but for something that breaks that mold it doesn't seem to work so well i'm really curious to see if people have used roll for stuff like monster of the week or uh like any other system that doesn't work quite the same way in the same mindset i guess is the way of putting it that DD does so i can answer that for you a bit because roll was built with DD in mind uh because it's the most popular game rpg uh, but also, they worked with several other kind of more indie creators when they were making it. So part of backing it was you could actually get a um, like you get a module and templates for specific games, including uh, the ones I got were Lancer and Mothership, which again I haven't had the opportunity to play. Um, but like Brandon Dixon worked with them, so I think you can get a Summit of Kings template for it if you like if you pay into it and stuff like that. So. Uh, it has like Monster of the Week, for example. I believe Lancer runs on a similar system, like it's the, okay. uh, powered by the Apocalypse. So I think those things are there. But Numenera, I think, is uh, an interesting case for it in that because they mostly approach slightly smaller creators because you know it's. I think it's hard to create a thing like that and like approach like Wizards or Pathfinder um, because I believe what they had for Wizards is just the SRD stuff, and it's just the how it works. They don't. I don't think they have any um, actual content. Content. Um, they've got yeah. They've got the stuff for the mechanics, but if you want to bring in like monster stats, you have to have that yourself. Yeah, and I believe you can bring it in pretty easily. They have um, like you can upload PDFs and stuff to your role account. Yeah, um, and also which allows for sharing with your players and stuff, which is also handy. Yeah. Um, you know, just putting it all in one space. Um, so, but something like Numenera, I think you would have to, I think it's one of those things where they would eventually have to like get permission from them to put it in in the first place. Like, and then they could probably build it, but it would probably require some building on the developer's side in order to make it convenient to like drag and drop it. So if they don't have a system that's already really similar to it, it would be difficult to work with that, I think. Yeah. Um, I will say that one thing I really like about Roll is that it's it's focused on the social aspect. Yes. Like the, the character sheets and, you know, the the handouts that you can upload, those are secondary. Like I've been I spent pretty much 90% of my time fiddling around with all the character sheets, but when you're running a game, the focus is on like the video 
aspect of it. Like apparently that was one of the big things was that they wanted the video call system in Roll to be really good so that the focus was on the people you're playing with and not the system. Yeah, which is great because Roll20 is terrible for that. Like it has it integrated, but it's clearly an afterthought. Yeah, and I will say like they're using a, a certain kind of technology that works if you're if everybody involved has good internet. I don't know how Roll Roll's video thing works. I don't know if they have a server backend that actually handles all the calls and stuff, similar to the way that like Skype and Zoom works. But uh, from what I can see, it does work better than Roll20. Because even in Roll20, even if you're using like webcams in Roll20, you're still small uh, avatars down at the bottom. Like the map is the focus in Roll20. And which is, I think the most frustrating part about roll 20. <laughs> yeah. Like I can deal with all of the API stuff. Like in the, one of the campaigns that I ran, I had so much scripting stuff set up. Like I had stuff set up so that the Druid, when they wild shaped their token would change into the appropriate token and they could change back and they could handle that all from like macros and being able to click and stuff. And I like, I, I enjoyed that part of it, but the fact that it was so focused on the map, I think is what because I, I I've talked about before how I got burnt out because I spent you know three or four times as long trying to find art assets because I wanted it to look good, and I feel like that's something that wouldn't happen if I was running in Roll. Um, yeah, um, I mean the one thing too about Roll is that it's still in early access; it's not done yeah. yet. Um, so like uh, if you go in and pay for an account, which I think is possible now, or yeah, because that's what you did. Um, yeah, you know, it, it might but, not be perfect yet, but is is also a system that is being built and they yeah. have pretty I'm looking at their updates uh, log and it seems to be pretty like every couple of weeks they have updates. Uh, yeah, they fix bugs and stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. Like roll is still something that like even if you pay for it now, you're paying for early access. You're paying for something that isn't done yet that if you if you get in now, you can maybe help guide and refine some of the features so that it works better for you particularly. Um, uh, but can it's you hear uh, my dogs. That sorry, is that what that was? Yes, I can hear the dogs. Okay. Uh, sorry about that's, that. No worries. Um, is uh, but yeah, it it I could see it working really well if I wasn't trying to run Numenera. Uh, and so for one of the other games that I'm hoping to run in in the next year, maybe I will use Roll. Um, the other system that I, or virtual tabletop that I checked out that is kind of interesting is, uh, is Astral. And the thing that I found interesting about Astral is that um, it, it has kind of the same thing as, as Roll, where it's kind of a drag and drop system. But the idea with Astral is that you upload a PDF of the character sheet and then you can drag and drop onto it. Like, here's a checkbox for like skills I have enabled. And here's a, you know, a number thing for what my strength value is and stuff like that. And it's, it's interesting, but I think it's, it's, Again, because I was looking at it through the lens of trying to use it for Numenera, it didn't work for me. And I think that's probably the case for almost every virtual tabletop thing, except perhaps Foundry, which I haven't looked into yet, but is a a thing that you can like, people have coded modules because it's something that you run on your machine and you can write code for. 
Uh, people have built modules so that like the systems that it supports, it supports really well. And apparently there is one for Numenera, but it is a little bit more expensive, um, but it is a one-time payment. But anyways, getting off track. Um, I could see Astral being useful again, like if you're running a D&D or, or Pathfinder or, or a D20 D&D based or derivative game, then it uh, it would probably work really well. Uh, especially if you like, because one of the things with uh, Roll20 that did bug me about the character sheets is that uh, some of the custom ones out there are kind of ugly but with astral like you can upload the actual character sheet so that it looks really nice so i'm looking at astral now um and what the first thing i've noticed about it for a gm is it looks like you can build really fantastic maps in it yes uh, and animate them and stuff but also that's like not a thing i'm super interested in personally Um, yeah And, and and that's and it's kind of the thing that I feel like it, like that to me that it's the same bucket as as roll twenty and even I've looked at Foundry I haven't played with it, but it's the thing of like it's focusing on on the map it's focusing on the art assets it's focusing on like to me the wrong part of playing online um, and I think it's one of the reasons that I I might even if I have a lot of trouble with it. Uh, like maybe I'll still try to use role for future games is that it's to me focusing on the right thing when it comes to playing online, which is the people that you're playing with, because when you're playing around a table, it's a completely different experience than playing online uh, with video or even just voice. Um, And I think that role has the right idea is that the thing that you should be trying to capture with a virtual tabletop is like, yeah, have some tools in there for, for rolling dice, for having character sheets, for keeping track of all that stuff. But the thing that you should be trying to replicate isn't the battle mat. It's the experience of being social with people. Yeah. Well, that's, so I think I want to add this last bit. I want to add about like roll 20 and then I want to, I think move on because we're coming up to 48 minutes, I think, or we're around. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of trouble playing on Roll20. I have a lot of trouble staying engaged. Um, And I I mean, I think that's also the case when I play my other game, which is just over Discord and we just roll on on our table. Um, But like, uh, so um, a platform with a robust system for the social aspect of it is what I really need in an online client. Um, Yeah. Like I would, so, you know, it's why I backed it. It's why I suggest people like check it out, especially when they have uh, expressed complaints about Roll Twenty or Fantasy Grounds. Is that the other one? There's there's a there's a couple of other ones, yeah. But I think Roll Twenty, Fantasy Grounds, and Foundry are kind of the big three. Yeah. Um, anyway, the point is, I don't quite care for Roll Twenty. <laughs> um, and check out Roll instead, I guess. Yeah. That that's. If if you're playing in a game and you're a DM or you're even just a player uh, and you're having trouble staying engaged, because that's what I've noticed with the game, the Rick and Morty game that I've been playing is is staying engaged, uh, is check out Roll or get your GM to check out Roll because it could help. Anyways, let's, yes, but let's move on to what we're looking forward to in 2021. Yeah, and I think clearly you need to talk about Numenera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... Numenera is built on the Cypher system. I think it was the first game that uh, that used the Cypher system, uh, which is uh, was built by Monty Cook and I think a few other people. But Monty Cook was one of the minds 
behind third edition of D&D, if I'm not mistaken. Um, that sounds correct, yeah. Yeah, and uh, the cipher system is built on, like, the idea is that, uh, like, you have the difficulty thing, which we've already talked about, which is the difficulty goes from 1 to 10, and the character's equipment, skills, and uh, their uh, attribute pools, of which they have might, speed, and uh, intellect in Numenera. I'm not sure if it's the same for all three of the cipher system games. But from those pools, their equipment and their skills, they can modify the difficulty in their favor. Uh, the other thing is that the GM never rolls. So when a creature is attacking, the players are rolling to defend. Uh, they never, the GM never rolls to attack. Uh, it's always the players roll to defend and they can roll to attack and all that kind of stuff. Um, the other thing is that in, uh, in, in Numenera, and I think it's also in the cipher system because it's in the name is in Numenera, you have ciphers. And this is kind of where I think the more interesting deviation from D and D occurs is that in Numenera, uh, they have, there's a couple of classes, but instead of having a, a, uh, like a fighter that has a couple of subclasses, they have, um, I'm going to see if I can pull it. Yeah. So you have uh, your character has uh, their name and then a descriptor, a type and a focus. And I can't quite remember because it's been a little while since I've looked at the rule book, but I think the, the type is kind of, is pretty much the subclass. So like you can have a, uh, like a, a smart, no, the type is your, yeah, sorry. Type is your class Focus is your subclass. So like a quick uh, glaive, which is the warrior class, who plays with fire and plays with fire is a thing that gives you a couple of abilities and glaive gives you a couple of other abilities related to being able to hit good with swords or whatever. Um, but the idea is that the thing that really makes the most difference is that throughout the game, you get ciphers, which are pretty much just one use items. Um, but the use could be like, you know, rather than having to cast a spell that gives you uh, like in D and D was it, um, bark skin where you like you have better defense like you have an item that's one use that gives you a similar effect okay. and the idea is that the players should be constantly using these items and the gm should be constantly handing them out so that you know you could have the same situation happen twice but the way you deal with it each time is very different because the ciphers you used in the first time you encountered you know whatever the situation is you've used those ciphers and now you have a completely different set of ciphers and you're going to solve this problem in a very different way because you have a different set of equipment to deal with it so this is interesting it kind of reminds me of the like fourth ed edition version of gamma world or the four four e dnd version of gamma world because after every encounter you had a mutation that would change um so it's not the same obviously but like every encounter it would be different because each character would have a new one like one encounter ability that they could and that's a a neat way to keep things uh fresh constantly right which is often um, missing from from a lot of tabletop games so that's that sounds like a really cool idea yeah so like for example i got the the starter kit for numenera and one of the character sheets uh has a a swift glaive who wields two weapons at once. So that wields two weapons at once means that uh, like the thing they get from that 
uh, is dual light wield. They can make two separate attacks in a single action with light weapons, which is something that only somebody who has that focus can do. And the thing in the with the book is that there's only the um, the three classes in the main book. There's a second book that adds a few more, but uh, basically it's it's Glaive, Jack, and I can't remember what the other one. And Glaives are like basically the the fighter class jacks are kind of like rogues and the last one are wizards basically um but the thing that i like about numenera is that with the descriptors because i think the descriptors give do give you like an example of what skills you should have and i don't i don't think they give you any special abilities but the descriptor and your the type and the focus because there's uh i think there's a there's a whole ton of focuses and i think the i'm don't quote me on this because again i haven't run the game yet um is uh i think the focuses can be used by any of the types so like you could be a jack who wields two weapons at once the those subclasses that word isn't really applicable because they can be used by anybody that's cool um and so I think that's one of the reasons that I'm I'd be excited. Like I want to play one of the the like the starter adventures with pre-generated characters, but it's yeah. why I'm so excited to try like doing a session 0 and to go through the character creation because it feels like this kind of system where it's like you've got a like a rough archetype that you can make your own by picking and choosing the the descriptor and the focus and really make it yours. See, this is why I'm excited that we're going to start reviewing some games. Not necessarily that we're going to play all or any of the games from the list that we have, though it sounds like we're definitely playing Numenera because now I want to play it uh, <laughs> also. But like, I'm excited to actually be able to, like, instead of just talking about how we think this game will work, actually play it a little bit and be like, oh yeah, I really like this thing about it. Yeah, maybe I don't enjoy this thing about it, which I could change, but you know, you know, be aware that this is how this like I'm I'm looking forward to being able to like have that knowledge and use it. Yeah. And one of the things that I like about Numenera specifically is the setting. Um, because the setting is it's Earth a billion years in the future. Nice. And there there have been uh seven other ages, what they call them, where uh and in the in the and part of it is that Numenera is meant to be weird and so like the 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 rule book the core book has a couple of things that it states are true of at like all of these are true and they don't have to be true of every age and but like for example um for one of the ages earth was the center of a, uh, an empire that spanned the galaxy and another uh, another thing that's true is that at one point humans were uh uh gone like they weren't on earth anymore um, and we've been brought back and you don't know why um, and like stuff like that. And like, for example, Mercury is gone. We don't know why. We don't know who did it. It's just not there anymore. Uh, the moon is a little bit further away and now has a breathable atmosphere and plants on it. Uh, mm. You know, and one of the things that they try to like really hammer in is the the awe part of something being weird is that you're not supposed to understand it. Whereas like in D&D, when you have something weird, it's typically because it's like the center, like either the centerpiece of the campaign or like some really cool magic item that you get to figure out what it is, how it does its thing, how it works. Uh, you know, like some ancient weapon, uh, you know, that 
some previous ancient race created. You can go and figure out how to work it, what it was done used for, and the whole history. But in Numenera, something that you know an attacking army is using as a weapon, that might not have been what it was originally built for. It might have been just you know some piece of a giant robot that you know is being misused. But you're never going to figure out what it actually was because it's just some weird thing that a previous age created and then forgot about and lost. Very cool. Yeah. But and I'm yeah, anyways, we need to move on because there's a couple other things we want to talk about and we're getting close to our time limit. <laughs> yes, I I will go with the next one. This will be quick. I really want to play Masks a new generation, uh powered by the apocalypse superhero game. Uh okay. superhero games uh, I think were the first genre of uh tabletop I played other than D&D or D&D variant. Um, and like, I love them deeply. I like superheroes a lot and I really want to try out a simplified version of a superhero game because I played, um, Mutants and Masterminds, which is very, has a lot of moving parts. There's a lot, (laughs) there's a lot to know. And it's, you know, I'm not sure how current editions are, but the second edition, which is, I think what I played was, there was so much to it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, the the other game that I'd like to play is Legacy: Life Among the Ruins, um, which I can't remember much about the system. I have a couple of the books because I got a bundle of them, I think, from uh, Drive Through RPG. But basically, the idea is is that um, when you're doing your character creation, you create your initial character and you create a family. And the idea is that it's it's set on Earth after an apocalypse. Um, and there are a couple of other races as well that I think you can play as, but the idea is, is that your campaign is made up of, to borrow from Numenera, like kind of like ages where, you know, the first few sessions you're playing as the character you created, who's trying to accomplish something, uh, along with the other players you're playing with, but accomplish something for your family, like to try and like maybe the first session, the first few games, uh, you're trying to establish a foothold out in the wilderness, out in the desert. You're trying to find, you know, water and arable land to create a farm. And then once you've like solved those first few problems, you jump forward a few generations and you play with the same family, but a new character. Oh, interesting. So like you play, like you can have a campaign that spans, you know, a few centuries and tell the tale of how this family grew from, a small settlement settlement of a few farms into, you know, the center of a, you know, booming empire or something else. Like it depends on how your game goes, but like that idea, if you're not just playing a character, but you're playing a lineage of characters and that's baked into the system. I think that's really cool. Yeah. I, I like the idea of in game or in playing, you get like very immediate, um, results of things you've done because you've accomplished this thing. Now we're going ahead two generations. How has that affected how this is going to look? Um, yeah, that sounds great. Uh, and reminds me that I have a book recommendation for you that I will tell you about after. <laughs> um, okay, so what do I have next on here? Uh, the Summit of Kings. Have you heard of the Summit of Kings, Sean? This is the it's Swords Fall, correct? Yeah. So it is. My understanding is it is made up of like a sub part of the rules for Swordsfall, so it doesn't run on the entirety of the engine of it, but uh, focuses around what'll be uh, a single class. And basically, the idea is the Summit of Kings is a recurring 
event that is essentially like magic battle rapping slash like beat poetry kind of tournament and it's an honor to even be invited and the idea is that you're playing you know swords fall to put it in very probably very inaccurate terms like version of a bard let's say okay and you go to the summit of kings and like uh you do it and i i I don't have a copy of it it's one of those things on my list of like when i have spare money i'm gonna buy a pdf and take a look at it um but uh from what i've heard it's really good it's pretty intuitive to play um and it it works pretty well as like a one-shot kind of thing okay Uh, though it's not necessarily meant to be an ongoing thing though it's something in the future that if you're running a game of swords fall you'd be able to incorporate okay Cool. Um, the the last one on my list, just because my list could seriously be like fifty to one hundred entries, uh, the last one on my list is the Expanse um, because I've I've heard some interesting things. I don't know much about the system, but um, I like I'd like to have another science fiction game in my uh, in my repertoire. Like I've already got I've got Star Wars, which is more you know, fantasy than sci fi to me. I've got Eclipse Phase, which is like it's a horror like transhuman future horror game really at its core and i'm curious to see what it's like to have a game that's more like my understanding is that it's 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 suddenly expanse universe which if you haven't seen the show or read the books i highly recommend either of them um but having a role-playing game within a science fiction setting uh that you could have an ongoing campaign that uh doesn't have to be centered on horror. I'd like to check that out. I'm very curious about the engine it runs on because I see that it's made by Green Roman. Oh, yes. So it's based on the uh, modern age rule set. So I've heard really good things about Green Roman's age RPGs because they've got Fantasy Age and they did Dragon Age and then they have uh, Modern Age. And this seems to be an extrapolation of modern age. So I'd be really interested to try playing this too, because I hear that those systems are, are a lot of fun and like pr- really well put together. Okay, cool. Cause yeah, I, I, I remember I've, I've looked at the, uh, I've seen the dragon age role-playing game and that is also one that I'd like to check out. Cause I'm a big dragon age fan, but again, like, you know, I could keep going with games that I want to play and I just need to stop myself at one point. So I limited myself to three. All right. We have uh, two more quick from me then. Uh, no, I guess three. I, I want to play Blades in the Dark. I don't know that we have to talk about it in depth, um, but especially after we played Subway Runners, which runs on a, I think, slightly simplified version of the like kind of bare bones mechanic of the game. I'm really intrigued to how a ongoing game like blades in the dark would work yeah and yeah i've heard i know of at least one podcast that i've listened to uh played blades in the dark and they had they were having a lot of fun with an ongoing campaign so i'm also interested in that yeah and, and like and uh friends of the show uh, uh dungeon masters test kitchen did a bit of their game in blades in the dark i believe and apparently had a like had a great time playing it so i'm really intrigued by it um another game is lancer basically mecha rpg which sounds awesome (laughs) i I know very little other than that of it i know that's i have templates for it in role um but like i i like mech stuff but i want a more simple game like i don't want a huge huge crunchy game like uh like is it battle tech 
Battletech McWarrior, yeah, like that's that's a game that I'm I'm kind of curious about, but to me it, it falls into that like you have to run this your first time with somebody who's played it before because it is such a crunchy rule set that like you know when you're in your mech you have to and you get hit you have to roll to find out where you're hit and which subsystem got hit and like yeah, yeah. I I'm not interested game, in that it's too yeah, much <laughs> if I'm gonna play a game that crunchy I'd rather just play it as a video game. Yeah, that that's kind of my thing. Uh, and finally, um, Quest, I really want to try. Um, I can't, like, I at one point was pretty familiar with how the game runs. I can't remember because it's been several months and I haven't actually, I don't own it. I haven't played it. But, like, the thing that gets me is uh, I'm looking at their character profile card. So you can buy little kind of, like, worksheet cards for your characters. You can also buy them as PDFs and just print them off. But the fact that the character profile is essentially a Mad Libs for a character's backstory and, like, character information. <laughs> so it's, hello, my name is blank. I'm blank years old and stand blank tall. I'm the party's blank. When people see me, they first notice blank, blank, and blank. I wear blank and move with blank. Like, the fact that you have this, it's, and it's only, like, seven kind of lines or main points, but that, I think, is a really interesting way to make a character where a lot of it is just through that and that's like a really good um foundation for building a bigger more interesting character out of that also it runs on a single die system that uses d20s which i i find interesting i want to see how that works um and one last thing i didn't put it on the list but because it's more of a an honorable mention because i don't think i'm ever actually going to play it um simply because it's on roll 20 and only on roll 20 it's a game that was built to run on roll 20 is burn bright um and it's it's an interesting idea of having a game built around a virtual tabletop system um that can take advantage of scripting and macros and being able to do really complex complicated things but hide it behind a button click is interesting to me but uh i again like Roll twenty. We've talked. We've talked about it already. It focuses on the table and not the social aspect. So, don't know if I'll ever try it. Maybe it might be a game that I'd play in person, where I can put Roll Twenty up on a TV and we all sit around a couch and with like phones or laptops or whatever. But uh, yeah, honorable mention. Don't think I'll ever actually play it. So I'm looking at some like kind of videos of the interface, and I gotta say, in a lot of ways, the interface reminds me kind of of Roll, <laughs> um, but like not as nice looking. Uh, I don't know. It doesn't look like you need a lot of maps for it. Oh no, they do have maps. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, you know what? It's cool that it's. I and I think a smart business decision too for them to build an RPG that's specifically meant to run on their thing. Uh, it's telling though that it came out like. A year or two ago, and I have never heard of it until that right now. <laughs> yeah, I think the only reason I, I know about it is, is I spend enough time on Roll20 to be like, oh, they've done a thing. But um, anyways, I think it's time for closing thoughts and, and wrapping this up so that uh, we can go and do other things like eat. Yeah, that's that's the main thing I want to do right now after <laughs> this. Um, it's nice doing this again. Yeah, I am. I'm looking forward to recording more often i'm well i'm looking forward to like some of the people we've reached out to which we're not going to say anything about until they've agreed to be on and maybe even we've recorded yeah um but i am excited to start recording again i'm excited about 
the plans and ideas that we've got moving forward. Um, and yeah, hopefully being able to, you know, be a voice that helps in, uh, in the tabletop space. Yeah. I mean, that would be nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm just excited to be making a thing again. I like, I briefly made Entomon during this whole thing, but I haven't touched that in months, which is the thing I got to get on. Um, but like, yeah, making a show again and like kind of, uh, on the back end of like how we are reaching out to people has changed. And I, it's like, I'm looking forward to, uh, how we've changed, how we're going to be interacting with inviting guests and stuff like that. Hopefully yeah. it will make it a lot easier to find guests. Hopefully. And, and also the, the whole idea of doing reviews, which means that like, I can actually start working through the literal pile of systems that I've bought and have not played. Uh, is very exciting to me because I bought them because they looked interesting and just haven't gotten around to playing them. And, you know, being able to suggest them as like, let's do a one shot and review this game at least gets it off my list of have not played yet. So it sounds to me, Sean, like you're going to be running the next several of these games we're reviewing, which is all right with me. (laughs) (laughs) Probably. as, As we've established about me and running games right now. <laughs> um, yeah. But in all seriousness, though, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting through your stack and I've got a couple of games kicking around that I'll have to pull out. Unfortunately, I think a lot of the zines I backed, not all, but a lot of them have to do with like things that are easier to do in person. So I might have to put them off till next year, but we'll see. Yeah. Like, like, yeah, like I want to play, was it 12 Candles or uh, and Dread? But those are games that like, you have to be in the same place so that you can blow out a candle or take a block out of a Jenga tower. Uh, so those just, will have to wait. Yeah, I've just had this this vision of us like in a park, each with our own bottle of disinfectant, like walking up to a Jenga tower, removing one thing, spraying it down, walking away, the other person walking <laughs> up and just repeating. And uh, I think it would take a lot of the tension out of a game of tra- <laughs> well i guess it depends on like where you're playing because if you're playing it outdoors where it's windy like as that jenga tower gets taller (laughs) there are going to be problems yeah um anyway i i guess we should also say reviews would be probably once a month yeah we're 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 the way that we're looking at i guess just a final bit of clarification the way that we're looking at at setting things up is that uh in order to like try and lift up specific kinds of voices means that we have to put more effort into finding those voices and setting up times that we can record with them uh which means that we'll probably only be like we already were only releasing twice a month but what we're thinking is one episode a month will be uh, a conversation with somebody and then the other episode will be a review of something or a more like if we can't get a review together in time like we'll still try to record something and it might just be talking about stuff that's been happening in tabletop. We don't know yet. We're still figuring some of these bits out. Yeah. And like it, it could also turn out that we end up pretty easily getting two interviews every month, in which case, you know, maybe reviews are less common or maybe, maybe we make them bonus content. We don't know yet. We're not really promising anything on that front, but it is a thing we're going to start doing and we hope you all enjoy. Yes. One thing we have talked about, though, and I'd be curious to get some feedback from you, our listeners, is we talked about uh, when we do the one shots where we take notes and uh, are, you know, doing the research portion of a review, 
if we record those sessions and put them up on Patreon, is that something that you would be interested in? Um, because more content is more content. And yeah, I don't know. Just curious what people think. And we would just also like to put more things on the Patreon, I think. This part yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, we, we've got Revolver now, and Revolver is like back up and running after being kind of dormant for a little while. But uh, oh, also check out Revolver. The newest show is called Board Game Bitch. It's hosted by Tori Fraser. Um, it's about board games. It's good. <laughs> yeah. Go and listen to it, <laughs> please. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think this is for really reals where we're going to end it because we've been in our respective small hot offices for almost two hours now. And yeah. uh, it is, it is time to wrap this up. Uh, so uh, thanks to everybody who's stuck with us. Even if you just forgot about this podcast and it has now popped back up in your, in your podcast listener. Um, but uh, we hope that the next year ahead is going to be way better than the year behind us. Yes. Uh and uh, we're looking forward to getting some more content out there. Yes, and I'm looking forward to us probably hitting 100 episodes if things go well. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, thank you again so much for listening. And uh, I don't know if we're gonna are we gonna throw the regular Ender thing on this, or do we should we actually say other things? No, no. Let's 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 do it live. Um, our art is done by the wonderful Haley Boros. Our theme music is Overworld by Kevin McLeod. You can find us on social media at uh, on Twitter at DMs of Vancouver. You can find myself at Jesse Boros, and you can find Sean at Sean P. Hagen. And uh, if you like what we're doing and you want to hear more of what our network is doing, go check out CaveGoblins.com. And if you really like what we're doing and what our network is doing, um, become a patron at Patreon.com slash CaveGoblins. Yes, that. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's uh, it. Uh, yes. Also, please consider supporting Raven Trust. Yes. <laughs> All of these things that we have forgotten how to do because it has been a little while. But this is the end. Thank you so much. Bye. Tell your friends we're back. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to DMs of Vancouver. We acknowledge that the land we live, work, and play on is the unceded territory of the Coast Salish peoples, including the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. In recognition of that fact, we ask that you please support Raven, a charity that helps support Indigenous people throughout Canada. You can find them at raventrust.com.